So I've been thinking on this question and I was like, man, like what, how do I even define what I do every day? You know what I mean? Like it's such a simple but hard question because it can mean something different to every single person. But I think the beauty, especially what we do here at Genesis, is that pelvic floor therapy doesn't involve just your pelvic floor. It involves your whole body. And so how I guess I would define pelvic floor therapy is a holistic approach to figuring out how your body is coordinating because the pelvic floor's job is to coordinate with like your core and your diaphragm and all these other breathing apparatuses and apparati, whatever, um, about like how to create like a stable base for you to move from. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain, and I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Hey, Arable friends, we are back in our awesome Genesis series with Dr. Amelia Poncher um, today to continue having awesome conversations about pelvic floor therapy and just deep diving into that conversation. But before we do, we want y'all to get to know Dr. Amelia a little bit um, formally, and then we'll we'll dive dive a little bit deeper um, with her here in a minute. So, Dr. Amelia received her BS in kinesiology from Kansas State University, go Wildcats, and then her Doctor of Physical Therapy um, from KU Medical Center in Kansas City. Amelia was DPT class social chair, if that tells y'all anything about her. So love that, uh, which is probably why she's at Genesis because she's so much fun. Her background has uh, been rooted in orthopedics and sports, but she is currently pursuing a certification in pelvic floor physical therapy as she has always emphasized how important prenatal and postpartum therapy are for women. She believes that this population does not get the proper guidance and training they deserve and cannot wait to start helping women achieve their fullest potential. Amelia was raised in Overland Park, Kansas, and moved to Dallas a year and a half ago. It's probably a little bit longer now um, since we read the bio. Um, She enjoys spending time with her fiancé and dog as well as her family and friends. She loves yoga and hit classes, travel. She loves to read and drink red wine. So, like, we're already same. Copy I don't know if you know this, same but we're friend. already friends. So I hope that's okay with you, Dr. Amelia. Welcome to the Arable Podcast. So glad you, you did this. So happy Thanks. to be here. And it sounds like we're going to have a wine night sometime soon. Yeah, it is. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be a bottle of Prisoners that shows up because that be the wine we like. So. Oh my gosh, yes. that's hilarious. That's amazing. It's I so love good. It. So good. But thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're so excited about all of the wealth of information you're going to share with our listeners. This Genesis series has been so fun so far. Um, in addition to all those marvelous things that Kimberly just shared, um, would you please introduce yourself uh, to our audience on a professional and a personal front and kind of fill in the gaps for us? Help us get to know you. Oh my gosh. I feel like I. I hate these questions because I'm like, what do you want to know, you know? 
Um, but yeah, <laughs> professionally, um, I have been here at Genesis for almost a year now. Um, Becky and I always joke because um, actually her birthday is coming up and the like night that we met on Instagram was on her birthday. She was like a, a few margaritas deep and was like, hey, how do you feel about women's health? I know I love her. <laughs> and so um, that's coming up this week. And so we keep joking, like, I guess we need to have some margaritas and chat about how much we love women's health again. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up here at Genesis via Instagram. Isn't that crazy? Like, just I so funny. Awesome. Well, I don't, I, yeah. I, I, yes, isn't that crazy? And I'm sorry. Y'all are like the Instagram queens. Like, I, I just seriously am like, I told Becky as we were kind of starting this new collaborative relationship with you guys, I was like, so part of the contract is you're going to have to bring us on to, like, bring Aspen House into social media just a little yes. bit more because oh, y'all gosh. y'all are going to have to give us TikTok tutorials. That's what we keep saying. That's <laughs> hilarious. And you know what? I'm not even on TikTok because I'm already on Instagram way too much. And I was like, if I add one more social media platform, <laughs> I, my fiance is going to lose it with me because he's like, you're already on your phone way too much. I don't think I can take another thing. But, you know, all the good y'all, stuff ends up on Instagram. so funny. But you know what? It honestly came from Becky because she is so funny and so much herself and she just like makes it very like (laughs) open for everyone else to to kind of do that. So yeah. Basically. Basically. Yes. Well, Dr. Amelia, we have been starting with um the same question for all of you because I think the variety in the answer and just we believe in the power of language um, has a lot of meaning um, for um, our audience. So we're going to start with a real basic question for us, but a beautiful answer from all of you guys. What is pelvic floor therapy in your own words? Tell us about what you do. So I've been thinking on this question and I was like, man, like what, how do I even define what I do every day? You know what I mean? Like it's such a simple but hard question because it can mean something different to every single person. Um, But I think the beauty, especially what we do here at Genesis, is that pelvic floor therapy doesn't involve just your pelvic floor. It involves your whole body. And so how I guess I would define pelvic floor therapy is a holistic approach to figuring out how your body is coordinating Um, because the pelvic floor's job is to coordinate with like your core and your diaphragm and all these other breathing apparatuses and apparati, whatever, um, about like how to create like a stable base for you to move from. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a weird answer, but it's the only good way I know how to define what I do. That's kind of similar with every person every day. So hopefully that makes sense. It does. I I love um, that you are speaking to the comprehensive work that you guys do. I don't think people realize that your niche, if you will, of pelvic floor therapy um, has such a, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to find my own words here. That one muscle group, if you will, if, and please mm-hmm. correct me if I don't describe this well. No, you're right. It just has such a ripple effect in the whole body. And so what you guys do is actually far more comprehensive than the average person assumes. Totally. Yeah. No, and you're very much correct in your language. Thank you. I get an A and a gold yeah. star. Um, yeah. I, uh, and I love that you talk, You use the word base. Um, like when, when I am thinking about the pelvic floor for, for like from a mental health perspective, I am constantly thinking about this foundational base in our body 
that, um, I mean, a lot of people when they come to work with me are thinking um, mostly sexually, you know, like how is this impacting my sex life? It's just like one of the many functions of the pelvic floor. Um, And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's so much more foundational than that. This impacts so much. It, it, it supports the whole base of your, your structure and and people don't realize that. So I actually love some of the word choice um, that, that you have offered us. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. I agree though. It's, um, it's definitely the thing that we all need to know about and move from. And it's so undereducated on. And like, Mm -hmm. I feel like half the time I'm just, um, teaching people not because it's their fault, but just because as a society, we have not taught each other well about, like just our genital region. So I feel like half the time I'm just giving people an anatomy yeah. lesson as between their twenties and fifties. And they're like, how do I not know this my whole life? You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a it's, huge problem. It's interesting. Oh, it is for sure. Yeah. We, we talk about, um, as sex educators and therapists and, um, you know, when we, we coach intimacy, all the different roles that we can play in, in anybody's life. We probably do more educating that is inviting people to unlearn. Um, And and then we get to relearn. I mean, that's a part of it too. But I I think we have to unlearn bad education, bad information, inaccurate information. But I also think, to your point, sometimes what we are unlearning is, and I'm going to have to find some words here, it's it's the misinformation that has come about from having incomplete education, right? So we have all these yeah. gaps and we've let really limited experiences or we've made assumptions. And so it's really a lack of information that ends up being the greatest, the greatest issue um, with having a proper sexual education or body education or, you know, wherever we want to kind of categorize it. So I, I, yeah. I like that you're bringing that up. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Well, and just the whole sex education thing in general. I'm sure you guys talk about all day just how, like, the lack of information leads to the painful intercourse conversation. And then we're sending people to you guys because we're like, wow, we need to work on this from all aspects, physical, mental, everything. So I could get into a whole discussion on that. Yeah, you're completely correct. I agree. So I'm actually going to throw in – some extra questions here that you are, uh, we've, we send everybody our questions ahead of time, but I know from following you on Instagram that you have, um, passions for a couple different areas. Um, and we sort of talked about those. Um, one of them is in kind of that prenatal postnatal, um, care, which we're going to get into here in a second. Um, but we didn't write in any questions about the athletic endeavors and you're really great at supporting um, athletes or um, athletic lifestyle when it comes to pelvic floor health for women. And I like love this about you. And we just failed to write in these questions. So tell me about that part of your practice, like supporting uh, women and their physical health and the types of activities that they choose. Give us a little insight into that. Yeah, no, you guys are so sweet. Um, I actually used to work with a lot of um, power lifters and like, um, don't not like bodybuilders, but there's a whole difference in weightlifting community between like CrossFit, powerlifting, and Olympic weightlifting. 
So I even just misspoke, but I worked with Olympic weightlifters. So that's what it was. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to the Olympics. It's just like what it's called. Right. So that's kind of where it is interesting. Um, so that's kind of where, um, I started to really like love a lot of big compound weightlifting movements that I feel like women are becoming bigger in. So like the CrossFit mm-hmm. community is a, is a really big area for this. And um, there's so much lack of education, I guess you could say, like we talked about earlier on how to properly lift and when to breathe. And then it leads to a lot of women, especially prenatal and postpartum um, to have urine leakage. So lots mm-hmm. of people are wearing black, Lots of people are just, like, peeing themselves. There's lots of farting mm-hmm. going on between the men there. Like, everybody's pelvic floors are just, like, hanging out for dear life because there's not a lot of <laughs> education about, like, how to weight lift properly. And it's just, like, kind of a nasty environment to be in because I'm, like, it smells terrible in here because everyone's, like, on the verge of pooping themselves. This is the best behind-the-veil view yeah. this yeah. Yep. And then, like, everybody is just, like, there, like you can just like even if you can't see it but you're just like oh god like you're, you're peeing yourself right now like it's just crazy yeah. this doesn't happen like all the time every single person everywhere but it happens often enough for me to have like, wow yeah like something's up here and then you know when you go online you see even more about it so outside of just like being athletic in my past and all of that um I mean there's like a big gap here for women in sports yeah. and if you even look at the research of women which I mean I know y'all do a lot of research too so Granted, I feel like it might be a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. but when you're doing bodily research, women are not included often because of menstrual cycles and because yep. of childbirth, and it throws off your statistics and like your you know variability. So it just like it created this like snowball effect for me to be like, what's going on with like why women aren't getting as much education in like the pre postnatal world, but also in the um, just like athletic fitness world in general. And just mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of like segueing off of this a little bit but I mean especially postpartum there's just like zero direction on what you're supposed to be doing how to get back into activity that's where we've become um you know privy to all these issues with like painful sex and leakage and prolapse and back pain so it's just like all these things really tie together and I feel like you can't ignore one population for the other so I think that's really where I got into dealing with a lot of like the fitness community and the athletic people um just because it's all tied together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, although our focus is typically in some like other directions or like turning over different rocks, what we do find in the world of sex therapy is we're trying to catch up understanding women. Um, and for us, it was actually like in our world of research and literature and what's available, it was because it was easier to study men because their genitals are on the outside and us as women are a little bit more hidden and we're on the inside. And so like, we just so didn't crazy. take That's the time. I know, I know. And, and so, and you know, one of the, I'm going to say, you know, miseducation points is trying to translate that male experience over to the female. And so women have been measured by the male model, at least from a, a sex, sex therapy and sexual process perspective for a long time. And there's a lot pushing back against that now, um, but yeah. that has not always been the case. So yes, different rocks, but the same thing, um, trying to make space for a female voice in, um, a world of research that has lacked getting to know us. It's just not okay. Yeah. So crazy. It's like we make up more of the population. So why is the research being done on the other side only? It's crazy. 
know. So um, most most of your kind of focus is on. I'm gonna get this right. Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit. That's kind of the air. So some of the population that you work with a, uh, a lot. Yeah. So I used to more often um, when I was just in like orthopedic PT. Um, than I am now, but um, I feel like a couple of us on the Genesis team are more comfortable with this, like, more athletic population, so um, there's quite a few women that I've seen that are, like, I, you know, I really want to be able to, like, do CrossFit all the way through my pregnancy or, like, get back into that Mm -hmm. postpartum, and so I just love working with this group because they're, like, so motivated, so I, like, I know they're going to do their PT, and their goals are really cool, and so, like, especially the Fort Worth office, um, with Jen and Corey and Haley over there, they've got so much cool equipment to, like, really work with this group, and, you know, one day we'll get there with the Dallas team, um, but it's, it's really cool to, like, work on these, like, big movements with them, get more creative with their programs, mm-hmm. it's, like, it just helps people understand that, like, pelvic floor therapy doesn't have to be just be, like, just exercises on the ground or whatever. Like, we're up, we're doing squats, we're lifting weights, you know, we're jumping, we're running, all this fun stuff. Yeah. Okay, so I have a, I have a couple more follow-up. I, I, again, I'm, for lack of better, physical fitness, athletic, pelvic yeah. floor questions. Okay, some of them are selfish. Um, I love it. I know. So, I want to talk about cycling for a second. Because yeah. I'm a big fan of everything about that experience, except the way my pelvic floor feels afterwards. And I feel like I have just beat up a part of my body that I do not want to beat up. And I love it so much. And so tell us your take, if you would be willing, on cycling. Because I know, I mean, I, for a long time, like, I would go to, like, these cycling boutiques, you know, like these, that that's all that they do. And it's, like, a big concert on the inside. And it's so much fun. And, again, most, everything but my pelvic floor loves that experience. So tell us about cycling and pelvic floors. Yeah, this is a really, like, controversial question, I feel like, sometimes, and just, like, (laughs) not with PTs, but just, like, um, with, like, physiatrists and chronic pain and, like, some of the physicians we work with. Um, So I definitely feel like there is a time and a place to tell somebody, like, hey, maybe let's back off of this for a while. I think it's making things a little worse, but it's not something I like to tell people to stop doing something that they enjoy. I think that almost makes things worse sometimes to be, like, I'm going to limit you from doing the things that you like. Um, but I actually also love cycling. Um, soul cycle used to be my jam. It used to be my regular workout. Yeah. Well, so in like Peloton right now, like the yeah. whole Peloton world has taken off. So there's a lot yeah. of people on a bike seat. Totally. And I feel like it's a really easy, accessible way to get a workout in. So especially for the prenatal postpartum world that we work with a lot, um, it's, it's a very easy activity for them to be like, I'm just going to hop on the bike for 30 minutes and that's my workout for the day. So um, I think the controversy with it is obviously the seat, right? Like it puts Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure onto your genital region and can impinge upon some of the nerves in there. So especially for those with like painful sex and um, prolapse specifically, these two activities can really, also urine leakage, I guess. Um, But these activities really can like aggravate it sometimes. But what I found actually is like just anecdotally and talking with my patients is that Typically, there's more success with outdoor biking than there is stationary biking. And I can't, yeah, I can't fully figure out why that is. But my kind of hypothesis is that, you know, with outdoor biking, that kind of involves a lot more whole body work. Like you're having to like balance on the bike and you're changing Mm -hmm. your speed and you don't have like necessarily like resistance against you outside of what is already there with the bike. And then, you know, with stationary biking, we're changing the resistance a lot. So you're adding the amount of effort you're having to put through. 
And then it doesn't require as much from your upper body to keep you balanced because you're in place. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of the problem is the going from sitting to standing. So when you're sprinting on the bike and you're standing up for like stationary bike classes, I feel like either the transition or just the standing on its own is what gets people in terms mm-hmm. of like urine leakage and like pelvic floor uh, lack of coordination. Because if we're not, like, engaging the right stuff or breathing the right way, like, a lot can change with your pelvic floor there. So sometimes it's not even the bike seat itself. But I think that's why most people tend to shy away from from telling people to cycle is because they're like, oh, you're compressing those pelvic nerves a lot. Does that make sense? Okay, so note to self, book an appointment with Dr. Amelia to figure out how to breathe (laughs) on my Peloton bike. Again, it's going to come back to breathing. It always does. Like, I feel as though everyone gets so annoyed hearing us say that, but it really does, right? It's like the most basic. Not Aspen House. Aspen House is 100% behind you saying, breathe correctly. We will. True. Oh my gosh, true. Okay. All right. So my next question is, tell me about yoga, because I feel like, are you the yoga person? Did I get this right? Yeah. I love to do yoga. I feel like I've kind of like dipped my toe in a lot of different things except for like running like I work with a lot of runners but I'm like I despise running so like if you were to ever be like how are your runs going I'd be like they're not it only Um, happens if someone's chasing me you're that person right literally yes um but no I love yoga I think it's also like one of the best activities um because of the breathing aspect of it right so again it comes back to the breathing but um I think it's a really great entry-level activity for postpartum, especially. I think it's good for cross-training for all those people who are doing weightlifting and running because it's a little bit different than what they're used to. It works, like, in different planes of motion and all that stuff. Um, But I think there are some movements that get people with pelvic floor problems. So, again, with, like, leakage or even um, the lovely word of queefing where air is leaving the vagina or entering the vagina at unwanted moments in time. And so lots of these problems come about with yoga, but, um, in general, it's a pretty good, safe activity for you. So I like it a lot. Lovely. I love it. I'm sorry. I had to take a little side trip on the I love athletic it. journey. Cause I'm like, I know this about Dr. Amelia. I stalked her <laughs> on Instagram. I know everything. Yeah. I think physical activity in any form though is obviously really good. Right. So it doesn't have to be anything specific. Yeah. I'd love to circle back and deep dive a little bit into the prenatal, postnatal work that you do. Um, it's layered, and I probably have a lot of follow-ups. So we'll, we'll camp out here for just okay. a second. Because I think, one, I run into, and I don't know if you do as well, or it's just my experience, most folks don't know about prenatal and pelvic floor therapy. You know, they know about, like, the rescue Something's happened postnatal. I'm going to see pelvic floor therapy. Something's off, hurting, incontinence, prolapse. Something's, you know, amiss. Um, and though obviously that is what you specialize in and can do, and it's such beautiful work, that's not, it doesn't, it's not the only thing that you do. There's a lot of preventative um, work. Um, and so I'd love it if you could walk our audience through what, what does it look like for the pregnant mamas out there doing some, um, who would, would be interested in doing some prenatal preparation, some postnatal, just exploratory, how am I, where am I, what, what does that process look like if they were to work with you? Yeah, it's a really good question because um, I think you're so right, Kimberly, that like it's just not well talked about or known about. 
Um, but how we can be of service during pregnancy is outside of any aches and pains that you're experiencing, um, we can help prepare the pelvic floor for birth. So we can make the actual event and postpartum life a lot easier. Um, that's easier, you know, relative term. But we can try to prevent, you know, the risk of tearing um, or just kind of like bring that risk down a little bit, especially for women who have had C-sections before. I think it's really helpful if they are having the goal of wanting to do a VBAC, a um, regular vaginal delivery after C-section, um, that it's super important that they see a pelvic floor therapist because that's quite a feat mentally, but also physically. Um, because like, what if they didn't have to experience how pushing was the first time? So it's kind of like they're re-experiencing the act of delivery and birth all over again for the first time. So I think it's really important to not only help prep the pelvic floor for the act of delivery, but to also set yourself up well for postpartum so that you have less complications and issues afterwards. So lessening things like diastasis recti, um, tearing, painful sex, you know, working on positions that are good to birth. And if you don't have a doula or if you have an OB-GYN instead of a midwife, nothing against OB-GYNs. I have one and I will probably use one if I give birth one day. Um, I just think the hospital system is just not as good at letting you advocate for yourself and exploring those different mm -hmm. options. And that's nothing against them. That's just our healthcare system. That's lovely. Um, but yeah, we can just help be of service in a lot of other ways um, to just like make the whole pregnancy easier as well as delivery. And then soon kind of have some guidance on what you're supposed to be doing postpartum. Mm -hmm. Most patients end up coming back to see us, but I'm always like, if you don't feel like you need to come back and see me and I'm giving you enough guidance to feel like you know what you need to do, then great. Like, hopefully I don't see you again, you know, like that's the end goal of physical therapy. But that's really specifically prenatally what I think is really important to do with them. But obviously, if you're having aches and pains, like pubic bone pain is super common in pregnant women or, you know, like mm -hmm. the lightning crash that they talk about. Those are types of things that we can help with. You know, you don't just have to like live in discomfort for forever just because you're growing a human, which I think has been the narrative for a really long time. But yes. it doesn't have oh, to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love... Um... You're not the first one in this series to mention it, but it cannot be mentioned enough. I think, I think this is true for women, and I think there could be like a little bit of like a systemic gender piece on this front, um, it woven into this. But you know, we have been told so many things are normal because they are common, and not been given the opportunity to get help. Um, I'm going to gently use the words before it's too late. So again, you have a lot of women who have let problems get exacerbated over time to a point where it, it's now a really big deal to recover when possibly we could have done preventative work on these things. Totally. And it's heartbreaking. It is. It so is. And it's like, I never ever would say this to a patient, but sometimes they'll say it to me. They're like, man, if I would have just known this was a thing before, I would not be where I am right now. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I mean, very well may have been. But also I'm always like devil's advocate. Maybe genetics set us up terribly for whatever situation we're in. Who knows, you know? Sure. But it, it again, it does always come back to just lack of education. Like truly just if we had told more people of the thing. And I think that's on us too as physical therapists sometimes. I mean, like pelvic health physical therapy is still a very much growing um, niche, niche, whatever, of our profession and we're trying really hard to make it more of a well-known thing. And I think that's half of our presence on Instagram is just trying to be like, Hey, this is, this is a thing, you know, because it's just the, the information's not there. Yeah. Well, and I think that for totally separate reasons, we're in an uphill battle ourselves. 
uh, as mental health professionals. Um, yeah. We also, for the most part, I mean, you have a couple people who will come in to see us for like peak performance, you know, type stuff. Yeah. Um, but most people see mental health as, in fact, I, I just had an Instagram rant recently um, on my reels where I'm like, hey, the mental health stigma that's out there is not the same narrative it used to be. It used to be, what are they doing in there? You know, it's it's quack stuff. Um, you must be really broken or really messed up if you have to go. That's really not the mental health stigma that we're up against these days. The mental health stigma that we're up against these days is, oh, that's great for you. And yes, I'm so supportive, but I am not willing to go for myself to get yeah. the outcomes or, you know, the results that I want. And I'm definitely not going to consider doing it proactively, like as a part of flourishing rather than, well, something's broken. Now I have to go in. So you guys, totally different reasons, but we're battling the same battle on that front. I wish people would be more proactive. No, I so agree. And that's honestly, like I have your guys' card out on my table in my room and I'm always like, you need to like maybe think about seeing some mental health therapy, you know, like in a gentle way compared to what I just said. But because it's like you said, it's not everybody's jam initially but I mean I think it's so good to just like have a uh, subjective point of view that's like not somebody involved directly in your life you know whether it's about sex therapy or other stuff but it's like even just from a physical standpoint our mental well-being translate to Mm -hmm. our physical well-being so much I mean like it manifests in a lot of ways so I think you are very much in the same place you're right what what do you see, just kind of a follow-up to that, in that prenatal, postnatal experience for mamas, just that emotional, cognitive, mental, what what do you see, just from, from your lane, from your vantage point in the PT world that shows up, that either maybe keeps them from PT or makes the process difficult or what, what do you see in your experience? Yeah, I think, um, everybody's situations are different. You know, I, I never fully know what's going on behind closed doors. Obviously I'm not with these people all day, but I feel like the, the two things that I see the the biggest in my postpartum and sometimes even prenatal, um, are obviously time is their biggest barrier because they're always going from one thing to the next, whether they're working or not, their focus is on, baby and on family and on all the things that they have to do and their well-being always takes a backseat to that um which I can fully understand that mindset but in the same breath you know we always like to say like if you're not your best self how are you going to be the best mom Mm -hmm. and so I think time is the biggest barrier to not only physical therapy but I'm sure for mental health therapy too I'm sure you get that a lot that people are like oh I just like I don't have time to come in you know and for us it's like even if it's not the time to come in, it's like, oh, I didn't have time to do my exercises, Um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, day-to-day wise is okay. But over time, there's got to be like some consistency there, just like with therapy, I'm sure. And so that's a big one. And then the second thing, emotional well-being that I think, you know, is a hard subject to touch on is um, just like postpartum depression and anxiety. And I feel that the two come together a lot and they manifest and I'm sure you guys know very different ways, but for us, uh, you know, that shows up a lot as pelvic floor tension. And that's a very large majority of the patients that we see. And, you know, it can also manifest as like low back pain or, um, I don't know, a variety of symptoms really. But that's where we really lean on y'all and our other mental health therapists to just, you know, be like, 
in a gentle way, because again, it's not everybody's um, want to do that or to talk about it, but just to be like, you know, I feel as though your day-to-day life stressors are causing now a lot of your physical issues. And so I think if we hit it on all fronts, that there would be a lot of benefit to that. And I think y'all do a really good job of helping our patients get there. Mm-hmm. We make a really good team, don't we? I think so. Yeah. It's a nice little collab. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I want to do some more, I don't know, kind of in the vein that we're talking, I think what helps people pick up the phone and call us is probably similar to what helps people pick up the phone and call you guys. We have to demystify this a little bit, which is why we're doing this whole series. Yeah. You know, so for the women who are really scared and uncertain about um, physical therapy and pregnancy, because to your point, you can't do a lot of research on a pregnant woman, like even all of the, you know, IRBs and institutional review boards and all of that are like, no, 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 no. And so, um, I think it's sort of taught us to be maybe too careful in pregnancy sometimes about doing things, um, that you can do. So, uh, for people who are scared about what does that mean? What would I be doing in PT and pregnancy? Is it safe? You know, what encouragement or advice would you like to offer them? Because it is so valuable for them to do this proactive work. Let's demystify it a little bit. Yeah, that's actually a really uh, good question that I don't think many people have asked me. Um, Pregnancy is extremely safe for all the things that we do in here. So in general, pelvic health therapy here at Genesis means that we might be doing either internal or external pelvic floor specific work. So the internal vaginal exam is extremely safe to do during pregnancy. It's not going to aggravate anything because I'm not at all near your uterus or your cervix. Um, We're just kind of like in the muscles of the vaginal wall and there's no stirrups or speculum. So it's, um, I would personally say more comfortable than a gynecology exam. I will second Um, that. I've had pelvic floor therapy. Yeah. Way more comfortable. I think the people who don't think it's more comfortable, it's more of like the mental discomfort of the situation because it's like, it's kind of an intimate thing, right? It's vulnerable, Um, yes. Yeah, but I think it's just because we spend a little bit more time down there than gynecologists do. Um, But Mm -hmm. the actual like physical discomfort is a lot less typically. Um, But even though if that's not something that you want to do, that's great. Um, There are options also rectally, which most people don't love either, but it doesn't really hurt. It's just a very Mm -hmm. interesting sensation. Um, just feels like you're pooping yourself. I'm not going to lie. And then outside of that, you know, if that's totally uncomfortable, none of that is your, your deal, then, you know, it's like, okay, we'll just work externally. And there's a lot of good things that we can do outside of the pelvic floor. So sometimes exercises in pelvic floor PT, um, do look like just like breath work or, um, simple things on the ground or simple things standing up. You know, it doesn't always have to involve like high level activity if that's not something you're comfortable with during your pregnancy. But most people, um, if they are high risk pregnancy, we know that because they'll tell us like, oh, I'm seeing a maternal fetal specialist or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had preeclampsia in my last pregnancy or a subchorionic hemorrhage. Like they tell us these things and we pick up on that. So, you know, we're always working within people's comfort level, but it involves manual work. It involves some exercising. It involves um, soft tissue stuff. We do dry needling, which is very safe to do in general, but during pregnancy too, because um, I mean, we wouldn't do anything on a normal person that we wouldn't do on a pregnant So, you know, safety is always key. And if there's positions that are uncomfortable for pregnant women, um, like if, you know, they're near the end and laying on their back is no longer a position of comfort. We do have like belly pillows so people can lay on their bellies and they're not like getting a pinch on there. 
And then, you know, we'll just work on their sides instead of on their backs. We just like kind of go to everyone's comfort level. I love that. I love how we're, you're touching on the vulnerability, um, the emotional experience that shows up. Uh, so I said this already on one episode, um, when I was getting trained as a sex therapist, my mentor said, if you really want to be a great sex therapist, you should go get pelvic floor therapy and know what your clients are going to go through. And so I did. That's um, incredible. Because it's like, I dare you to do something. Jenna Mountain's probably going to do it. So I did it. I actually needed pelvic floor therapy too. Um, I wish I had done like the prenatal work. I did not. Um, and so part of my story is kind of working through three different forms of pelvic pain over the course of my life so far. I mean, it's just... I don't think really people realize how common it is. Um, but I had a very, I had the gift of having a very clinical understanding and mindset of what was about to happen because I had, you know, already done my graduate degree and was already getting into sex therapy training. And so I was so aware of the practice of what you guys do. And I just, I was able to very much so file it in that this is they're professionals. This is what they do. And like, this is just normal. For people who struggle to do that, because I think sometimes it is about like, oh, you're hanging out in my genitals, but sometimes it's like, what's going on for you? You know, like it, and that's, and some people ask that question about us. Like we are asking about, okay, so how do you touch the penis in this way? And then what happens when this part of your body gets touched and which part of your vagina is the most, and they're like, what is going on for you as the professional, as you're talking (laughs) through these things? So I think sometimes it's helpful for people to understand how we keep that professional, you know? And so can you speak to that a little bit? I think it'd be really helpful for people to understand the way you see your work and like the gift that you get to give to the world. Yeah, no, that's such a sweet way of putting it also. Um, I think for me, gynecology exams were never comfortable. Um, I was somebody who experienced painful intercourse in the past um, from like having a tight pelvic floor. That was like a chronic thing for me. And so I kind of like know what these people are experiencing physically and mentally because it kind of like messes with you a little bit Um, as I'm sure you guys talk about all day, right? Like it kind of like warps your relationship with your partner and like, is this normal? Do other people experience this? Like is something wrong with me? Mm -hmm. So like I kind of get where they have been. And I think, again, pretty much every therapist you've ever seen, mental health, physical health, whatever, has probably experienced some of what you chat about with your patients, right? Like I know a lot of our therapists have experienced prolapse, painful sex, leakage, all all the things we talk about. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you know, conveying that to people kind of puts some at ease. And then also I think a big ordeal um, with the type of situation that I'm in every day is to always ask for consent and to always explain everything out and talk to people in terms that they understand So part of the pelvic exam, the very first time I meet people, I tell them about what it involves, ask if they think that's okay. And then I take that into consideration. And when we actually get to the point of the physical evaluation um, where we will be doing that, I kind of tell them everything again. And then I explain all the ins and outs of what we're going to do. Like, okay, like this is the position you're going to be in and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And then I'm going to talk you through everything that you're feeling and what I'm doing and before I do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially if I can tell it's people who are a bit more hesitant and people who I can just tell are already anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really important key thing to do because it takes a little bit of that anxiety down just a tad, just enough to be like, okay, yeah. you know, like this is all right. Um And then I'm always asking for consent because not only is this uncomfortable for them, but I want to make sure that it never comes back on me that, that 
I didn't know they felt comfortable. You know what I mean? Um, so I think just being in their shoes before I know what it feels like mentally and physically, and then conveying that to them, making sure I can make the whole situation as comfortable as you can be. And then honestly, y'all, if you did this all day, like it wouldn't be weird to you too, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like you, you kind of, des- not like desensitize yourself, but you know, when you're doing something all the time, it, yeah, it becomes like a fact of life to you. So yeah, you no. Know, when you see one vagina, you've seen them all basically. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it becomes nothing. I will tell you some of the things that we brag about so much when we talk about you guys is your bedside manner, that it mm-hmm. is um, what I would say very trauma-informed, um, very, very permission-giving, always consent-focused, and it it's never um, rushed or forced, Mm-mm. and, and we, we're constantly casting that vision when we refer to you guys. So, uh, thank you for breaking that down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's a really good question. So good. Dr. Amelia, what do you think, and maybe one of the biggest, could be the biggest, but one of the biggest misconceptions about pelvic floor therapy is? I think the biggest misconception is just that all we do are talk about Kegels and hook people up to biofeedback machines, and that's it. (laughs) That's all we do, which, don't get me wrong, there are some therapists that do that, and um, more power to them. It's just a very antiquated way of doing therapy, and we find that there are less optimal results with that. And I think that is the biggest barrier we have to push through is like, wow, that's not what we do all day. So that's a really great question. <laughs> yeah. If y'all would like to see more about those, those soapboxes, follow all the Genesis team on Instagram because you will learn oh. so much about yes. that. So yeah. Hard. So good. Yes. Yeah. I, like, can't even talk about it anymore because we'll just get onto a rant and nobody wants to hear that. So, yeah, that's all I got to say on that. <laughs> one, of y'all, one of y'all posted something about just the anti-Kegel movement. <laughs> that's what I like to call it. And, you that. know, you put those little stickers all over it and said, like, I just eat glass. <laughs> I just was, like, dying. Y'all are so funny. You hate it when so everybody funny. overdoes the Kegels. Oh, my gosh. Well, we yeah, love it, like, but I think... It just shows how much y'all care about, mm-hmm. like, the healthy, educated, known, mm-hmm. you know, facts about our pelvic floor for women and men, but I know just, right. you know, women to have, you know, that you're, like, that passionate when someone's like, oh, we'll just do a few Kegels or go do some biofeedback, you know, that it would make you angry because <laughs> you love what you do and you want it to be done well. Yeah, I think one thing you can say about our team and just probably any pelvic floor therapist in general is that we are the most passionate people about our job. I mean, you have to be also for like what we do all day. Like we just talked about, like it's an intimate thing. Like you can't be laissez-faire about this. Like you have to be all in. I love it. So, yeah. Oh, speaking of passions, what's your favorite part? What is your absolute, like I know we're not supposed to talk about our favorite children, whatever. What's your favorite thing to do in your work? Oh, man, my favorite, honestly, is, like, when somebody comes back and they're, like, I feel so much better. Like, when people hit that aha moment with, like, Mm -hmm. something that's just, like, been life-changing, like, pain that I've had forever. Like, okay, today I had a patient message me, and she was, like, whatever we did last session made my back feel pain-free for five days, which I have not experienced in 10 years. Like, that type of stuff just makes you be, like, okay, like, 
I've made a difference in someone else's day. And it just like really like warms your heart to be like, okay, I've like helped somebody beat them best self or like something as simple as like breathing has really just like changed my outlook when I'm having intercourse and now it's not painful and it's something that I can semi enjoy. And I'm like, good for you. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's something we want for you. And it's like, I'm just kind of like a guide for them. They're putting in the work. So when somebody actually puts in the work and sees those changes, for me, it's like nothing better, you know? Yeah, I know. The the reports of healing and change, and it's really hard fought for. I mean, I don't, our worlds are very different, but, you know, we we intersect and work together a lot. Sometimes those results are, to your point, really hard fought for. They're not overnight successes. And... We are peeling back just these tiny layers at a time and going, okay, um, we've eliminated that. And like, maybe, maybe we'll look at this and y'all are doing it with the body and we're doing it with kind of like the emotions and the mind and the soul. And we're just peeling back one layer at a time. And all of a sudden you just like pull this one thread of the, of, you know, the case conceptualization and, and it ripples into place and they're like, oh my gosh, it's working. And like, I just get goosebumps every time, like someone reports that it is just, it does. It brings so much joy to the work that we do day in and day out. So I'm, yes. So So much joy. Okay. You've mentioned a couple times breathing. Just a couple. As does the entire Genesis team. (laughs) We, we, we are big fans. We talk about it a lot too. I'd probably say, and take a deep breath at least 20 times a day. Um, so let's, let's go there just for a second. Um, I, you know, I find, I'm sure you do too, that most of us are unaware of the power of our breath and what it can do. I mean, you've, you've even noted breathing during sex and how powerful it is. So why breath? Why do we keep coming back to it? What's, what's happening with it? Talk to us. What's up? What's up? I mean, I don't want to um, bore you guys with an anatomy lesson, especially if you've talked with the other Genesis you team. cannot bore us. But... We <laughs> love to nerd out on this stuff with you guys. Let's yeah. nerd out. I love to nerd out on this. Oh, my gosh. So if any podcast listeners are readers and, like, want to know more about this, the best book that kind of explains how this encompasses, like, just our health and everything is called Breath by James Nestor or Naster. I always say his last name wrong. Um, but that's incredible. And then there's another one out there that's more like, what'd you say? So we will put it in the show notes. Yes. And then there's another one out there called the oxygen advantage by, uh, Patrick McCowan. And that one's a little bit more like sciencey research based. Um, but I love to read. So those are two good books, but in general, if you think about it, we breathe like 25,000 times a day, right? Like that's a lot of breathing. So it's the easiest way for us to mess up how things are going, but also the easiest way to improve how things are going, right? Because there's so much opportunity for practice. And so if you think about like the core system, right? Like our core is shaped like a soda can. So it's cylindrical in nature. It's got a top, it's got a bottom. I feel like I tell every single patient that I see this analogy. So if they listen to this podcast, they're going to be like, skip. So I've heard all this, but The soda can analogy is a really good way to think about the core because it's cylindrical in nature, right? So we've got your back muscles on the backside. We've got your um, oblique abdominal muscles on the sides, and they're the closest pair of abs that we have to the skin. So they're the easiest for us to utilize. So most of us are pretty strong there. 
And then the second layer of abdominals is on the front side of like our soda can core canister. And six pack abs again are like super strong, very easy for us to access because of how close they are to the skin. Outside of diastasis recti in pregnant women, that's a whole other conversation, but pretty easy for us to utilize. The third layer of abdominals, though, is your transverse abdominus. So this is still on the front side of that core canister. And the transverse abdominus is, we call her the queen. She does everything for us. I like it already. So she is kind of encompassing the entire trunk. So she wraps around like our entire belly back area. And um, she's super strong on her own and adds a lot of stability by herself. And so if we know that this transverse abdominus is super deep, because this is what people refer to as like your deep core, then we also know that it's probably harder for us to access that deep muscle. So it's not as strong generally as the other pairs of abdominal muscles. And why as pelvic floor therapists, we're so interested in what that transverse abdominus is doing is because in some part, your transverse abdominus, when it contracts, so does your pelvic floor. So they kind of like work together. You with me? Mm-hmm. So a lot of um, the core that we like to involve is that transverse abdominus. So that's everything that wraps around the core that we just talked about, right? But to get to the breathing answer of all this, outside of the transverse abdominus being super important, as well as our back muscles on the backside, then, like I said, with our core canister, we have a top and a bottom. So I'm sure you can assume that your pelvic floor is the bottom of it, right? And that's three layers of muscles that sit at the bottom of our pelvis, okay? Just to orient people who aren't totally for sure on what pelvic floor means. And the top of our core canister is our diaphragm, which is the dome-shaped breathing muscle that sits underneath your ribcage, and it also attaches to your ribcage. So when we're thinking about how our core works, okay, the soda can analogy, now that we know all the parts of it, we've got all these muscles that wrap around, we've got your diaphragm on the top and your pelvic floor on the bottom. So your core's job is to help stabilize or pressurize your trunk so that your limbs can do anything they need to do. So like we talked about earlier, we're trying to move from a sturdy base. And that's why your pelvic floor is so important because it's the bottom of that base. And if you're thinking like a soda can, when it's closed and it's pressurized well, it's pretty strong and you can't really manipulate it, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as you like pop the top off and you let all the air out and you let the liquid out, now it's very malleable. You can crush the can however you want. So our core works the same exact way. When it's pressurized well, it's very sturdy. And when it's not pressurized well, that's kind of like where the dysfunction comes from. Mm. So all that to say, if pressurizing our system is the goal, then breathing is the number one step to all of that. Because how do you get air in and out? Well, through your breath, right? Air's only got one of two ways to go in our body, through our mouth or through the bottom end. And so our pelvic floor and our diaphragm are working in conjunction with each other all freaking day long to keep that core canister moving well. So when we take a breath in, because our diaphragm at the top is a dome shape, it has to kind of like drop down and flatten out and spread out. And so when that happens, it's taking up space in our stomach. So for lack of a better term, it's kind of squishing our organs. But since we breathe 25,000 times a day, we don't want to constantly be aware of our organs getting squished and be like, oh, like, ow, that hurts. Like every time it happened. And so when we inhale and it drops down and we're squishing our organs, our pelvic floor is supposed to relax and drop down with it. So they kind of descend together on an inhale. And then when you exhale, your diaphragm comes back up, so your pelvic floor comes back up with it, and it kind of contracts a little bit. So if you think about that, they're moving up and down together all day long. We inhale and they descend. We exhale and they ascend. So breathing is super important to pressurizing our system and to getting a strong core. And it's super important as to how our pelvic floor is working because they bounce off of one another. 
they like they play off of one another. So you can imagine if I'm not breathing efficiently, then my pelvic floor is probably not working efficiently either. Mm-mm. And how so, many of us hold our breath when we're nervous about something? Yeah. Yes. So like you guys talk about all day, we do the same thing. Like when people are anxious, when they're nervous, when they are stressed out, when they're having pain, first response is to always hold our breath. And so in a painful sex type situation, half of them are just sitting there holding their breath the whole time because they're so anticipatory of pain and then their pelvic floor reacts off of that and it tenses up too. And so that's half of why it's painful is because we're perpetuating the system now, as I'm sure you guys talked about too. So that's where like breathing can just be super life-changing if we're doing proper diaphragmatic breathing and getting that flow through our diaphragm and our pelvic floor is because like, wow, things can release and we let that tension go. Mm -hmm. So it's super life-changing. Super life-changing. It is life-changing. Thank you so much for walking us through that. That was brilliant. That was, no, it was perfect. How about you, Amelia? Okay, so I, I now have two more books. I don't need any more books on my book list. That's like a problem for most therapists who are like, all the books on my shelves I still need to read. Yes. Not, I now have more. Um, we When we were in our training, we read an entire book just on like the the mechanics and chemicals and everything involved with an orgasm. Like that's it, a whole book. A whole mm-hmm. book on an orgasm. That's, that's incredible. incredible. Oh, it is incredible. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Like we take that for granted so much. It is the most fascinating like series of events that happens. Like, big book on an orgasm. So, that I love that. I need whatever that book is to like. Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> and learn we'll more about we'll that. Over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so with all of the demystifying and just setting us straight, you've done. If there was like one myth about either bodies or health or pelvic floor that you would love to set the record straight on today, what would it be? Biggest myth about pelvic floor therapy would be that Kegels solve all of your problems. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the same as the misconceptions, I guess, but falls into the same line. Yeah. I feel really um, blessed by being a um, coach and mental health professional in an area where, um, well, we just have access to many talented public floor therapists, but um, specifically you guys at Genesis, because honestly, I have colleagues all over the nation that do not have anyone close. And yeah, um, it is, I, I, they really have to work hard, harder than, than I have. I'm spoiled. I'm like, go see Genesis. That's what you need to do. Go see Genesis. Um, I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm a lazy sick therapist. I don't know. Um, but I just know you guys do such a good job. And I, I have I have run into well-meaning even you know trained sex therapy professionals that because they don't have one of you guys nearby who knows what they're doing they really are still grasping at and slipping into the Kegel myth way too often way too often and so I'm yeah again I'm spoiled I'm so glad that you guys are bumping up against that that is that is an old school and antiquated approach and honestly does more damage than it does good in a lot of ways. Especially for those painful sex people. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yes, you don't need a stronger pelvic floor. You need a more flexible one. Yes, yes. No, but you guys are so kind in the communication back and forth. And we feel the same way about y'all. Because like without mental health therapy, a lot of our patients' anxieties about it and like the strategies of the negativity that surround sex now and just like all the other things that you would see people for, even like postpartum depression and all that stuff, all just life stressors. Yeah. 
add, you know, and I'm talking about two specific populations of painful sex and postpartum, but man, so many of us could benefit from mental health therapy for just like general tension, like upper body is the exact same way. So it is really nice to have resources. And I completely agree with that. So we are also very thankful for y'all. I'm curious, Dr. Amelia, what's your favorite part about being on the Genesis team? I mean, like, how do you choose when you get to work with like the funniest, (laughs) coolest people every day? Like, it's just, it's amazing. Like working for a women owned business, a completely female team has been like life changing, like night and day from my last job. I cannot say enough good things about just this entire group. Becky as a human being and Mm. just this group she has created around her is phenomenal. And there's not one thing I dislike about my job. Just everything. I can't even pick one thing. It's incredible. That's powerful. Yeah. I love it. It is. I love it. Refuses to answer the question because she likes it too much. I'm going to put that down on my <laughs> Noted. Noted. <laughs> I refuse to pick one I thing. Mean, like, yeah. How do you pick one thing? You know what I mean? Like, I've got a That's flexible awesome. schedule, friends, like, a, such a kind boss who's also a mentor. Like, there, you can't pick one thing, truly. Yeah. I love it's it. awesome. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we close our episodes the same way with everyone so we're gonna do it with you so what would you like the audience to take away from our conversation today and what would you like to leave them with wow what a question I think one thing to take away is that not only mental health therapy and any type of physical therapy are good to do together I think that's a great takeaway but also that our bodies are just incredibly changing all the time And even if it's just like a check-in with a pelvic floor therapist as to like how things are going, you know, a lot of times people don't know that something is weird, like about pooping and peeing. And then I ask them about it Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm constipated based on what we just talked about, you know? So it's good to to check in with a pelvic floor therapist at some point in your life, whether you're male, female, had a baby, have ever had sex, none of that matters. Um, The pelvic Mm -hmm. floor, like we talked about, is working for us all the time and does bodily functions outside of sexual ones so it's for everyone Mm -hmm. for everyone Mm -hmm. yeah yeah dr amelia final question what's your takeaway from our conversation today uh that i love aspen house even more (laughs) (laughs) yes you do (laughs) no i mean like truly though like just chatting with y'all so much fun and it's nice to just like educate each other on the things that we do every day and educate others and it's just nice to like you said, have people to refer back and forth to and to spread the word about pelvic floor therapy is great. So thank you for that opportunity. Cause like we chatted about it, just the lack of education is uh lack of information is out there. So yeah. We do make good teammates, don't we? We do. Yeah. yeah. We do. Thank you so much for today. Thank this you. is so wonderful. Thank you guys. Yeah. It's so nice to like hang out virtually, you know? Dr. Amelia was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. So awesome. I loved it so much. Ooh, she's so fun to talk to. Um, yeah, and I actually love that she went into 
the science and nerded out with us a little bit and really broke down some things. So, and I just love that they have a set of muscles that they call the queens. <laughs> I just love that so much. Okay. What was your takeaway from this wonderful conversation? Yeah. Um, gosh, so many. Um, I think just in general, as I think about the series, I just continue to be blown away by the Genesis team's passion for um, their work. I mean, the genuine love that radiates from each of these PTs for their work and their team. So that just always warms my heart. Um, I'm still waiting for someone to get on here and be like, it's fine. It's okay. No, I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> they happen. just, they, they love, like, love their work. And that is just, gosh, it's just contagious. And so I love that. And then just Dr. Amelia is a good teacher. She is a, a good teacher. teacher. And I feel like some of the things she taught, though I knew them, I love her con- concept map. And I feel like I'm taking that away today um, to steal. hope that's okay, Dr. Amelia. I will cite you um, to steal her concept <laughs> maps to teach people because I just, I love how she walked us through breath and her word picture and just thought that was so helpful and attainable and like easy to grasp. So what about you? What was your takeaway? Um, I really appreciated her I don't know just her passion and attention to and I guess the way she explained and and broke down um, their goals her goals are to keep you doing as much as you want to do in the different stages of life so you know she specifically is just talking about um these women who, mm-hmm. while they are pregnant um, and postpartum, really want to continue these um, exercises and athletic endeavors, and we're talking about CrossFit and weightlifting and all of that, and their goal is to keep as much on the table as an option as mm-hmm. possible. Um, and, you know, she, she gave a nod to there are times we have to say no. Um, but we want to reserve that as the exception rather than the rule. Um, they're all about figuring out how to say yes. And I really love that about their approach and their hearts. And I, I think that leans into human flourishing, Uh you know? Um, so I appreciate that about their practice and I'm glad she unpacked that for us and our, our audience. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain. 